You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. The theme for today, in case you haven't already noticed, it's been obvious, the week that changed everything. It's the greatest week in human history. We call it Holy Week. And today is Palm Sunday. All four Gospels tell of Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem that day. All four recognize that he came on a young donkey. And if there weren't kids in the room, I'd read the King James Version of what that animal is described as. It's the one time it's appropriate to use profanity in church. In any case... This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, who 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, had this prophecy to share. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous, victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And with that, there is about a two-mile procession, a parade of Jesus making his way from Bethany atop the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem. But what is the significance of Palm Sunday? It's Jesus being heralded as the Messiah, as God's Savior. It is his arrival in the capital city to be declared the forever king. The crowd's anticipated his arrival as something special. That's why they took notice. But there's more than that. We're told that they shouted in a loud voice, basically saying, here is the Lord. And why is it called Palm Sunday? Because along the procession, the crowd would spread palm branches on the road as a kind of a red carpet entry for Jesus into that city. He is the king It was a joyous, festive occasion. Can you imagine hundreds, maybe thousands of people lining the streets, all singing praise to Jesus? So now, who is Jesus? Remember when the disciples were tasked with going into the town and getting the donkey, if anybody were to ask, why are you doing this? They were to reply, because the Lord needs it. Well, that's who Jesus is. He's the Lord. This is important. You know, there are many titles for Jesus in the Bible. He's rabbi, good teacher. He's king, he's prince, he's friend. All this language, he's shepherd. All these images and titles for Jesus. And some can pick one of those and solely concentrate on that one and omit the others. So some might say, well, Jesus is a friend to the poor and a teacher, but he's not Lord. He's not God. Yet he is. He's all of that. The shortest declaration in the Bible of who a Christian is, is to say simply, Jesus is Lord. He is above everyone and everything. There is no equal to him. There is nothing in creation, no one that comes alongside of him that is above him. 
Now the Jews, and especially the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, would have heard this as blasphemous because no one but God is Lord. And here Jesus is saying, yes, I am that sovereign Lord. The Romans would have heard this as treasonous because only Caesar is Lord. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm Lord. So Jesus is establishing himself in authority over everyone and everything that's ever lived in the history of the world and will ever live. That's a massive statement. Well, as we've already alluded to the fact, there were two responses that day. Some people rejoice and they worship and they're glad and they celebrate. And Luke tells it this way. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And then they quote from Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. People are celebrating and shouting. They're lining the streets. They are cheering and singing and they're filled with emotion and passion. It's like they're saying there's hope for us. We finally have someone to be a good king over us. And if you know Jesus, then you know that to be true, that he is good and kind and merciful and gracious. You see, you and I, by nature and by choice, we are sinners Rebels, lawbreakers, enemies. There is no peace between us and God. But in this man, Jesus Christ, he has come to die in our place for our sins. And he rose victorious in our place as Savior. And as a result, through this man, Jesus Christ, through faith in him and forgiveness from him, there is peace with God. If you are a child of God, hear me in this. God is not angry with you. He loves you. God is not sick of you. He will never leave you nor betray you. He will not abandon you. He has adopted you. Yes, God might be disappointed by some of the things that you are doing, but he's disappointed because you're his child and he has so much more in store for you. There is peace between you and God. He is not against you. He is for you. And friends, when you suffer, God is not punishing you. He's already punished Jesus in your place. So it would be unjust for God to punish both Jesus and you. There is peace between you and God. Sometimes God will allow us to go through a hard season just like a parent who loves their child and has to give correction to mature them. But there is peace between you and God if you belong to Jesus Christ. So the first response of Palm Sunday is the crowd and their exuberance. The second response, some of the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The religious people come to Jesus. Uh, it's getting a little loud here. Uh, this is a little bit too much excitement for a religious event. We all took a vote. We think we need to tone it down. 
So here come these guys, big hats, long robes, carrying clipboards. For those of you under 30, those are like iPads. And they're, and they're very official. And they're feeling really uncomfortable all of a sudden. Jesus responds, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He says, well, I could stop them. But if I do, then the stones are going to call out my praise. I don't think that's going to make you feel any better. You see, all of creation was made by Jesus. All of creation exists to glorify Jesus. And if people weren't going to praise God, then apparently it gets to the point where it's some crazy musical and all of a sudden the trees and the rocks jump in. It's like the wildest kids movie ever. You get a glimpse of this in Romans chapter 8 where it says that all of creation is frustrated by human sin. And that creation longs for its liberation and deliverance with the coming of Jesus so that it might be free, that creation might be free to glorify the creator God of the Bible. What Jesus is saying here is, I am to be worshiped. These people are not wrong. And even if you silence them, the rocks will cry out. What a prophetic statement that is. Because within, within just a few days, they all will be silenced of lifting the name of Jesus in praise. We all know that's why the Palm Sunday event is kind of a bittersweet event. They've been celebrating the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, yet within four days, that celebration will become confused. Fear will, will have taken over, and there is no one to honor him within just four days. So the Lord Jesus is making a prophetic statement. They will be silent, but he's also making a profound statement. His lordship is not contingent upon their praise. He's saying, I am Lord, whether people cry out or not. He's saying, my lordship is not subjective. You see, if you were to stop praising him, that doesn't make him cease to be Lord. So that's pretty much the Palm Sunday event. Now, this is what happens next. Jesus goes into the city, up to the temple. He drives out the money changers. Jesus then teaches in the temple. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he comes to Jerusalem and teaches. He goes back to Bethany at night. And finally on Thursday... He tells his disciples to prepare an upper room where they will share a Passover meal together. Now, the Passover referred back to that great event from the book of Exodus where God's people left their enslavement and bondage in Egypt by God's mercy and provision. The ultimate was the lamb's blood sacrifice that was painted over the doorposts of their homes so that when the angel of death came, that angel would literally pass over those homes. And so they celebrated Passover that year and every year going forward that culminated 
at the cross of Jesus, where the perfect sacrifice would come. That's Jesus Christ bringing freedom from bondage and enslavement, but not to any nation, way greater than that. Jesus brought freedom from bondage and enslavement to Satan, sin, death, and hell. Well, in that celebration with the disciples that night in the upper room, Jesus institutes for us the Lord's Supper. This is, again, how Luke records it. Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them and saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. They must have been baffled by that. Thanking still of the victory that just had taken place on Palm Sunday, they knew very little about all that was swirling around them. After that time together in the upper room, Jesus and the disciples would make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just opposite the gate where they would have entered on Palm Sunday. That garden still exists today. And in fact, there are olive trees in that garden that date back to the first century. Jesus goes and he prays. The disciples fall asleep. And then in the middle of the night, Judas, the betrayer, comes with the temple police, not the Roman police. They were sent by the religious leaders to arrest Jesus. What's interesting is that the Romans allowed, wherever they ruled, for local governance to have some control. For instance, the Romans were the ones who placed or or appointed Herod to be king over the Jews. Herod the Great, who ruled over Israel during Jesus' birth, was set up by the Romans. They wanted the local king to rule. But that's why the Jews never fully accepted or supported Herod. He was set up by the Romans, and he wasn't from the royal family line. The Romans also allowed Jewish courts to exist. They could meet and have their judgments and carry out their sentences, except corporal punishment. That was restricted to the Romans only, One exception, Herod could allow that to happen because of his special um, uh, relationship to Caesar. You see, it was Julius Caesar who was the Roman emperor at the time that put Herod the Great as king. Needless to say, Jesus is arrested. You put the gospel accounts together, here's what happens next. Jesus is taken to the home of Annas. He is the father-in-law of the current high priest. But Annas is still the, the powerful figurehead behind the high priesthood. From Annas, he is taken to Caiaphas, the now high priest. There at Caiaphas' house, the Sanhedrin, it's kind of like the Jewish uh, Supreme Court, is meeting. There's a trial. It's the first of many. And they find Jesus guilty of blasphemy because Jesus repeatedly, emphatically, unapologetically claimed he was God. 
The guilty sentence came with a verdict. He must be executed. But they could not carry out that sentence because it had to come from Rome. So they take him to the house of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, where Pilate is staying. But when they get to Pilate's house, these Jewish religious leaders with Jesus in tow are not going to go into Pilate's home because he's a Gentile. And for them to enter into a Gentile's home during Passover would make them unclean. Now, I, I guess it was okay to murder an innocent person at Passover. That's okay. Just don't go into a Gentile's home. So Pontius Pilate comes out to meet them. He takes Jesus in and they have a dialogue. All four gospels narrate this encounter in a slightly different way, but they all make clear that Pilate did not want to execute Jesus. In fact, he tried to find a way not to. At one point, Pilate even sent Jesus to Herod. Now in Herod's meeting with Jesus, he asked Jesus to do miracles. Jesus refused. In fact, he refused to even engage in conversation with Herod. So Herod mocked him further and sent him back to Pontius Pilate. Pilate washed his hands in front of the crowd in effect saying, Leave me out of this. I want nothing to do with your request. Well, the crowd was enticed to put pressure on Pilate. So Pilate had a plan to appease them as well as take any judgment against Jesus off of himself and put it onto the Jews. He had a tradition that at Passover, he would release one prisoner. Shall I release your king? He asks. No, we want Barabbas. Pilate still says, I find no fault with this man. To which the crowd responds, you are no friend of Caesar if you let him live. So with that, Pilate issued the most dreaded words in the Roman Empire. Ibis ad crucem, you shall go to the cross. And with that, Jesus is condemned to death. He is taken outside and the city and crucified on a hill called the skull. Golgotha in Hebrew, Calvary in Latin. There, Jesus was nailed on that cross at nine o'clock in the morning. And he literally died over the next six hours. That's Friday. If we ever expected Jesus who does miracles to perform a miracle, it would be now. It would be at this point in the week. But he only does one miracle this week and we hardly even notice it. While Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a slave, a, a nobody really in the grand scheme of things, and in one last heroic act, Peter takes his sword and, and swipes off the slave's ear, his right ear. Jesus says, Peter, if you can't get his whole head, leave him alone. Jesus touches the man's ear. 
it's restored. But if there were ever to be a grand miracle, we'd expect it now. But the great vindication miracle will have to wait until the first day of the new week. Not this week, not Holy Week. Easter is the beginning of a new week. That's, that's when we'll have to wait. However, there are two miraculous signs given by God during the time that his son is dying. Luke, again, chapter 23, records it. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the temple proper. What was behind that curtain in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Atop of it was the mercy seat. One time a year, blood from a perfect animal sacrifice was brought in and sprinkled over that mercy seat as a way of atoning for everyone's sins. That's the miraculous signs, those two. One is strange darkness at noon. The other is the tearing of this curtain, this veil. That means there's no more need for sprinkling of some animal sacrifice blood to atone for sins. There is no more separation between us and God. Now, to put all of this in perspective, I need to share one more story that Luke tells is Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. This is all about a week before Palm Sunday. Zacchaeus, as anybody knows that story, was a crooked tax collector who was Jewish, but he extorted his fellow Jews on behalf of the Roman government. That's how he became wealthy. He heard about Jesus, and he heard that Jesus was coming into his town. Being short, he climbed up in a sycamore fig tree to get a better view of Jesus. Interestingly, it was Jesus who got the better view of Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking along. He gets to that tree where Zacchaeus is, and Jesus stops. And he looks up in the tree, and he invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. And when Jesus does that, the text says, all the people grumbled. And they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Ultimately, Zacchaeus gained ground that day because Jesus restored his identity as a full-fledged son of Abraham. So Jesus restored Zacchaeus to the community and to his faith community. As a result, Zacchaeus became so generous and promised fourfold return to anybody he has defrauded. Now, that's a person who's been touched by the grace of God. But in this encounter... Jesus lost ground. He gained no friends that day. They all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But here's the thing. The shadow of the cross is over this event. Just one week before Holy Week. And the Lord did this for Zacchaeus. And now we see what it means. Zacchaeus gained ground. 
you and I gain ground. What happens at the cross, just like with Zacchaeus, Jesus absorbs Zacchaeus' guilt. On the cross, Jesus absorbs your guilt and my guilt and takes it on himself. That's what has to be done with guilt and sin and death. The only way they can be conquered is that they have to be taken. And Jesus is the only one who can take them. And he takes on all the powers of evil. Most important thing. On the cross, Jesus catches the arrows of guilt and shame and sin and evil and even death. They kill him but he caught them and in that he won he did it because you and I cannot do it and it killed him to do it we may not usually think of this as a miracle but there actually is a miracle of Holy Week it's the cross where Jesus caught the arrows He shields us from them with his very own body. And the cross of Christ, you and I are saved. And we hold on to Easter to see it vindicated, to uncover, to make sense of this saving act. The miracle of Holy Week happened when Jesus Christ identified with you and he did what you cannot do for yourself. You cannot confer forgiveness on yourself. He absorbed all the wrath, all the fear, all the anger, all the resentment you hold in your heart, all the harm you and I have done to others. Jesus took all of that on. And if you've been waiting to become a Christian... What's stopping you? Here's how you receive Christ. Right now, right where you are. Number one, you admit your need. That you're a sinner and you need a savior. Number two, you ask for God's forgiveness. Number three, you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the grave. And number four, you invite Jesus to come and to have control of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can simply do that right now. You can pray that prayer in your heart. Bow your heads with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sins. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. I want him to come into my heart and take control of my life. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great moment in someone's life if they've prayed that prayer. Thank you for welcoming them into the forever family where they will experience your love and grace and power from this day until forever. And Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've accomplished this week, Holy Week. It means you love us and you took the arrows for us. Bless us. 
and give us the freedom to experience your love and share it with the world around us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.